Welcome to episode 24 of You Are Not A Frog, at what cost? Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, hospital doctors and other busy people in high-stress jobs. Working in today's high-stress environment, you may feel like a frog in boiling water. Things have heated up so slowly that you might not have noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. You've got used to feeling constantly busy and are often one crisis away from not coping. Let's face it, frogs only have two choices, to stay in the pan and get boils alive or to hop out and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more choices than you think you do. There are simple changes that you can make which will make a huge difference to your stress levels and help you enjoy life again. I'm your host, Dr Rachel Morris, GP turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control to survive and really thrive in our work and lives. I'd like to tell you about our new CPD forms. If you want to learn while you listen and claim CPD points, then go to the link in the show notes and sign up to receive our fully downloadable podcast CPD forms. Each one is populated with show notes and links so that you can listen, reflect and then note down what you're going to do. A quick, easy and enjoyable way to do your CPD. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. So on with the podcast. It was brilliant to be able to talk to Lawrence McCahill. Now, he's one of the co-founders of the Happy Startup School and they are a, an online community and a business school with a really alternative perspective. And their aim is to put happiness before profits. Now, I've attended a few events with the Happy Startup School and met loads and loads of people, many of which you've heard on the podcast. So I thought it'd be really great to get Lawrence on and just to hear his take on life and work and happiness. So here it is. So it's great to have with me on the podcast today, Lawrence McCahill, who is the co-founder of the Happy Startup School. Welcome, Lawrence. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for being here. First of all, can you just tell us a bit about the Happy Startup School? Sure. Hi, everyone. So yeah, the Happy Startup School, we're an alternative business school and we work with entrepreneurs and leaders who believe in business and creating impact, but not just focused on the money. So we help a lot of people build businesses, but also now more and more lead teams, lead organizations that are really focused on impact as well as the bottom line. And that's kind of the, the filter that we have when people come into our community is, you know, they're not just doing it for the money. That's the core intent really and who are the people sorts of people that that would join the happy startup schools you mentioned people who are entrepreneurs who want to have an impact do you have anyone who work for large organizations or they tend to be sort of have their own small businesses no it's a real mix and when we first started out our core audience was early stage startups and entrepreneurs but more and more i think it's the values of what we're about that have really attracted a really diverse group of people and so now if you come to our events or on any of our programs you'll meet you know 
people who some of them are startups obviously but we work working like you said big organizations who maybe want to make change happen from the inside we've had teachers come along we've had you know people who work in in the medicine we've had people who work for the un actors you know it's a real mix of people maybe seemingly random on the outside but when you come together i think with a similar intent of wanting to create impact wanting to do good work then we found the more diverse the group the better actually because you get a new set of ideas and and really get out of your bubble i think we all can be in our little bubble of work and so it's really healthy i think to challenge that and to be well first to be aware of it that we are in a bubble and second to then embrace new ways of thinking maybe a diverse set of ideas or in some cases just being asked a question that you maybe hadn't even considered and that being the thing that helps you with your own work and your own organization so so yeah going back to your point yes entrepreneurship and startups are our focus core focus but we embrace anyone who believes in looking at work and life differently and that's ultimately what we're about and I've certainly appreciated coming to some of your events that you've been running and obviously coming as a GP. So you've definitely had one GP <laughs> uh, coming to your event. So I think the, the principles and the things you're talking about were really, really interesting to me because I think it's interesting what you say about a bubble. I think in the health service, we operate in quite a bubble, quite a cultural bubble and quite a bubble where we think that no one else quite understands exactly how we work and the pressures that we're under and no one else can really get it. Are there any other types of occupation that, that think like that? I mean, education comes to mind. A lot of friends are the teachers, and they say a lot of the same things. I'm trying to coax them into coming to our event. But I think there's probably a bit of fear there. That, or it, either it's fear of, you know, I'm not the right person, you know, it's not for me, the imposter syndrome thing. But I think, like you said, there's a feeling of we're different. So therefore, mm-hmm. because we're different, you, you don't get it. You don't get what what it's like to be in our industry and our role. But I think the people we, we love listening to and talking to are the people who actually challenge that and understand that there's probably lots of things you can do from the inside of that industry that is different, that feels against the grain, but actually no one else has bothered to even question. And you know, I've got a friend who's a hand teacher, for example, and he's constantly trying to create innovative, creative ways of making learning fun in the classroom. And it's a traditional school, it's a state school. But a lot of his peers would see that as, you know, you can't do that because the government says so, the curriculum says you should do this. But actually, there's a lot of leeway within those constraints that other people just don't explore or either can't be bothered to or just think that it's not allowed. And so my expectation of any industry, whether it's medicine or education, is that there are things you can do within the constraints that you're presented with that maybe aren't the norm, but maybe that's a reason even more to explore it. And again, we find this, we've, when we started seven years ago, you know, talking about purpose in business or even happiness, happy, the happy startup school, happiness in business was a complete oxymoron, really. Why would you talk about those things? You know, business is about being ruthless. It's about money. It's about being hard-nosed and, you know, those soft sort of word skills aren't things that are embraced, but actually more and more now we're embracing more empathic view of how business organizations should run. So yeah, we constantly encourage people to go against the grain because sometimes that's where the good stuff is. You know, if you want to really revolutionize the way you work or even make it more interesting for you. I think happiness for me is really key. And I know we've had a lot of, there's been a lot of research, you know, coming out in the last few years, probably around the time you started, or maybe even since you started about the importance of happiness, bringing, making you productive, then making you successful as opposed to the other way around. And I think in medicine, certainly we fall into the trap of thinking the harder I work, the more productive I'll be, the more successful I'll be. But it doesn't work like that, does it? And then I'll be happy. And then I'll yeah. Be, uh, the villa by the pool. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, one thing that fascinated me before we even started was the research around positive psychology and people who are exploring that field. And I think the reason being, it's like, what can we learn from people who, who seem to be approaching life better and not in terms of, you know, running around high-fiving each other and smiling each day, but actually developing more resilience around life events or being able to enjoy their work more or have more connection and live healthier, happily, happier, longer lives. And so that's the quest we've been on to explore. How does that work? with work how does that work with business what can we learn from that field that would then feed into some of the decisions we make with our work and business in that way and those two things not competing because like you said a lot of people particularly in the entrepreneurship field but i'm sure in every field there's this perception that like you said if i work hard if i go up the ladder if i achieve my promotion get the grades get the salary rise all those points that we get on our badges and points that we achieve in our career that we then get to the holy grail of success and that means whatever that is for someone you know the the villa the then i'll get the time then i'll be able to retire um we've always been big fans of you know understanding this is a journey and how can you enjoy the journey and not wait for that end goal because it may never come or it may never if it does come in many cases we've met people who they get the exit if they're selling a company or they get the promotion to the ceo or they you know the company gets funding from shark tank whatever it is and then they just feel a bit hollow actually that that thing that they were striving for that kind of end game that they were fighting for isn't as rewarding or fulfilling as they thought it would be and then it's like okay now what what do i do mm. now that's, that was the thing i was striving for and, and often that comes at a cost of other things and you know that's probably one of the main questions we ask people is at what cost you know i want to take this opportunity whether it's a salary or a project okay that's great it looks great on paper on the spreadsheet but at what cost you know at what cost to you what cost to your you know, loved ones, maybe if you're spending less time at home, what cost to your colleagues or your vision for the business, on the other hand. So I think, you know, understanding this field of positive psychology, I think is important if we're to not only create more impactful organizations, but I think actually from a leadership level of your own life, being able to understand how these tools and how this science can actually benefit us as individuals. And, uh, you know, I read a lot about, I just finished a book called Lost Connections, I don't know if you came across that book, but talks a lot about how, you know, understandably GPs are busy and prescribe antidepressants often to try and solve that issue. But there's so much more deeper of an issue there that can be addressed, but it's not a quick fix. And so understanding these areas of focus in terms of community, of values and meaningful work, of connection to each other, those are the things I think they're probably longer prescriptions, but actually more. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, I mean, just to defend my GP colleagues, uh, you know, no GP wants to just hand out these antidepressants like Smarties. What happens is that you get people coming demanding them and you sort of say, well, have you tried other stuff? No, no, I just want this quick fix. So I think it's very much, you know, other people thinking that medicine is going to cure their difficult lives. And actually, there's so much evidence now around loneliness causing, causing problems. We're all so isolated, aren't we? And working hard and hard harder even makes us even more isolated but actually the solution is to connect people up more and luckily we are getting social prescribers now into general practice but who are people who are there to, to connect up people in the community and connect up resources which is good but it's going to take a while yeah. and I think it's interesting because I think the harder we work the more we do get isolated either within our practices or in our, our jobs. And we do lose those other connections outside our work. And those are the things that really make life worth living. I think so. I think the hardest thing sometimes is to ask for help. Not something's wrong, but something's missing. And we found that a lot with the people we work with is it's not that they're lonely people. 
they may be lonely in the role that they're in, you know, whether it's a leader of a team, a GP, you could be running a company, but often you're the go-to person for help, advice, you know, guidance, mentorship. And so to then either show some vulnerability of, okay, I need support too. Who motivates the motivator almost? Mm-hmm. That is the hardest thing for people to admit. You know, I've been there myself. We run a company. For years, we thought we would, you know, we knew it all because people paying us to tell them what to do and, and to be the expert. But then after a while, you're like, actually, there's a much bigger world out there. There's a much, once you know everyone else who you've admired is probably going through similar battles, you know, that's empowering because then you realize, okay, it's not just me who's going crazy and feeling a bit isolated or feeling like there's something missing. So I think the more we can build community, you know, whether it's GPs building a community of peers, whether it's you know, entrepreneurs like ours gathering to share highs and lows together, I think that's where I think the sweet spot is where you get help yourself, but actually hopefully build bridges with other people and that kinship that then, you know, we support each other rather than it being, which I think was fed from the education system, probably this idea of we all compete against each other for the same pie. And it's about scarcity mindset, which, you know, we try and move away from if possible. I'm really interested in what you're saying. The question is that you ask yourself if any new business opportunity comes along, which is, you know, at what cost? I think that's really interesting in in general practice. Now we are um, being asked to join PCNs, primary care networks, join in with other surgeries, employ lots of different people, do lots and lots of new and shiny things and make lots of changes and lots of practices emerging and and we can't recruit GPs so there's a lot more work and it's quite easy just to run after the next new shiny thing that seems to promise something better maybe more financial stability or it may be more time but it, it may be something else and I think asking at what cost is really helpful what sort of criteria do you use to weigh up at what cost well the first thing is it's counterculture almost because i think it's easy to measure success in monetary terms because it's the easiest thing to measure you know so yeah. the reason why you can judge a good job on how much you're paid is because it's probably easier to measure than how fulfilling it is or how many hours you'll work because we never really know that we might have a best guess at that but it might involve them so i think time is a huge one you know it's how you can value your time more so that any monetary decision is also balanced with the idea that okay it might involve more time and maybe it's time on things that i don't want to do you know if it's things you do want to do then that time might be worth the sacrifice the opportunity cost of it might not be so great if it's like okay i'm not going to come home for another hour each day and see my kids but i'm going to be doing something i really believe in Okay, maybe that's a sacrifice you're willing to make. If it's, I'm going to be doing more paperwork and dealing with people who I don't really get on with, then maybe it's not a sacrifice you're willing to make. So looking at time, not just through, am I going to get more or less of it, but actually how am I going to use my time more? And, you know, just from our point of view, when we're doing or exploring whether we should take on a project, we really base it a lot on energy and not being all woo-woo, but more in terms of like, are we excited by it? Does the thought of doing it excite us, not just from a monetary point of view, which again might portray our decision making when we're thinking about what excitement looks like, but trying to see beyond that and think, okay, do we like the thought of what the outcome might be of, of doing it or the, the journey of working with these people or this team or whatever it is to create this thing together, the, the creation process might be exciting. So I think trying to, you know, whether it's time, energy, and maybe even impact, maybe there's something you can do that would allow you to create more impact with less effort. That's something we're really interested in is how you can ideally work less but be more effective rather than hours being your sole way of making impact with people you help people with a lot of creating digital tools or um, creating knowledge products that can I know you're doing courses and, and all those and podcasts you know these are ways to 
share your knowledge with people that doesn't involve you sitting in front of them one to one. So there's so many tools now we can use to reach people all far flung corners of the globe that maybe don't necessarily directly help our business, but might help us create impact. And that makes us feel good. And if we're not getting that, maybe in the nine to five, we can find that through other means. So yeah, looking at these decisions through a lens of not just money, but I'd say time, impact and energy. I think those are things that it just, it's another criteria to look at things through another lens. And that I believe is, is a good counterbalance to money being the sole motivation for any decision. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, I think doctors generally aren't too short of money. You know, we all need a, a set amount to live. And then above that, you just get faster cars and bigger houses, don't you? But it's time is the big thing. So what advice would you have for people who are just feeling really completely overwhelmed with the demands on their time and can't really see how to change that? And often it's doing stuff that they don't want to do, but they can't find anybody else to do it. Well, and one place to start is not assuming that everything you do currently is the way it has to be. So it's easy to say, create more time, you know, make time. There's even a book called Make Time, which I found really useful. But again, reading that book is work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I recommend it to people and I've ended up having to send them a blog post about it. So that at least they'll get curious about it. I'd love to read all these books on productivity, but I just don't have the time. Yeah. <laughs> but I found that book useful because it helps you to understand, for example, how much time are we wasting on devices? You know, how much time are we wasting on social media? Some would admit to more time than others, I'm sure. But chances are all of us are wasting some time throughout the day when we think we're not. And so that book for me was a useful tool to be able to remove any distractions that aren't helping. And so adding some defaults to your phone, for example, so you don't get notifications all the time if you can avoid them. Creating better habits about technology use, but also like looking at your productivity, you know, I'm sure everyone's got busy um, commitments with appointments and everything, but maybe there's times where you don't have that and you, you're just filling your time with things that ultimately someone else could do better or maybe they don't need to be done. Maybe if you didn't do them, they wouldn't be that, wouldn't be that big a deal. So I think it's just being really careful about the time you do have and then exploring, okay, how can I use that time more productively? And I think a lot of this for me also go back to the way we've been taught about education, about work, about careers, you know, being busy is better and if we're busier, we're more effective. If you stay longer in the office, you're going to get more done. But I've actually found the opposite to be true, particularly if it's more about knowledge work or creativity or thinking bigger. Sometimes doing less, you know, sometimes going for a walk could be the most productive thing you could do. Sometimes taking a day out or you came to our retreat in the Alps, you know, taking a week out, luxury that that brings, it feels very indulgent. But for big picture thinking, for network building, those things we found of things you can't necessarily tangibly touch and feel, but they could have a bigger impact than actually sitting in the office for 60 hours that week and churning out a load of reports or um, other things. So I think it's understanding what activities you're trying to do, what, what's your goal. But yeah, I think trying to not assume everything you have on your plate is given because I'm sure we're all guilty of filling our time with things that actually aren't that effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's supposed to be sort of up to 30 or 40% of us are doing sort of stuff that's not important. If you look at the Eisenhower matrix and the urgent important stuff versus the non-urgent stuff or the non, non-important stuff. Yeah, I can totally believe that. And, and I think it's understanding, it, you know, just because you're sat there at a desk doesn't mean that you, you're being as productive at 10 p.m. as you were at 9 a.m. So mm-hmm. that's one thing I've learned the hard way is actually knowing when, you know, your productivity levels have dropped and where, where you're most effective in the day and what activities are best done at certain times of day. I think that only comes through experience. Some people are night owls, some people are early birds. But yeah, I've, I've learned to carve out time for the right things at the right time. And so I tend to have calls in the afternoon. I tend to cut, leave the mornings more for mm. my own time if possible. 
And if that's not possible, then understanding if I've lost energy, that might be why, because I've, you know, tried to fill my time with other people's ideas or commitments. So, yeah, as much as you have control or autonomy over that, trying to find those moments of, you know, me time in the day or week, if possible, where you charge your, your energy, because otherwise, yeah, you're no use to anyone as, as, as they say, you can't pour from an empty cup. No, and I think they also say that above about 50 hours, if you do 50 hours of what, of work a week if you go over that you then become much less productive and you start to sort of damage the work that you have done really so 50 is the the maximum but I guess we've never thought like that because when I was a junior doctor I was working 120 hours a week which was just ridiculous and, and actually made people ill I get it you're pushed for time and with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are not a frog.com slash quiz but we, i guess we're doctors are often in that mindset that we are superhuman and we can just keep working but i think people people then burn out get ill and then realize that it's not sustainable and i think it's like you said there's cultural norms how to push back when there's pressure, peer pressure, or pressure from above to another mm. way. I guess a lot of the pressure that doctors get is that it's just the sheer volume of patients they have to see, and that brings with it the sheer volume of paperwork. But I think there are a lot of processes that could make things a lot easier that people haven't got time to sit and actually work it out. So just putting some time aside to say, actually, how are we going to work out a system for filing letters or how are we going to work out delegation is really, really important. But I was interested. So when I sort of first contacted you to talk about the podcast, it was about change and uncertainty because in general practice, we, and, and in medicine, you know, there's a lot of change, a lot of uncertainty, especially at the moment. And I know that you've had sort of experience of this in the past. And as you were saying to me earlier, we're always in a state of change. What sort of big changes have you had to go through yourself in the past? Yeah, the reason that I think the theme resonated was, like you said, ever since we started the Happy Startup School seven years ago, um, which was a side project at the time. It wasn't really a business yeah. initiative. I feel like we've been in a constant state of flux. I wouldn't say like constant change, but certainly embracing uncertainty, not running away from it. And I think that's really, I wouldn't say it's easy to do, but this idea of, you know, if you're a startup business, you the idea is that you don't really know you might have a clear vision but you might not know how you're going to get there and so a lot of the teachings around entrepreneurship is to fail fast and learn faster and this whole mantra comes from silicon valley that the only way to learn is by doing and, and iterating and improving but that even just the word failure <laughs> to most mm -hmm. people is the us is a culture of entrepreneurship and failing fast but in the uk in particular it's really difficult to embrace that i think and doesn't just apply to business it applies to anything any walk of life failure. oh yeah doctors don't like failing that's for sure no exactly and and those things tend to end up in the press if they do yes <laughs> uh, but there's if you're trying to do something differently then there's an element of risk i think mm -hmm. otherwise everyone would do it <laughs> you know that's the thing is like if it was easy everyone would do it and so the 
obvious thing that comes to mind with us was before we started Happy Startup School, myself and Carlos, who started it, we were running a digital agency. So we were building websites and apps for clients, large and small. And when we came up with the idea for the Happy Startup School, we had a need to teach and train and, and share what we'd learned building, helping other people build their businesses as well as us building our own. And we made the decision in 2015 to close that agency to focus on our vision for this new school. And that was scary. I mean, it was scary because we didn't really know how the money was going to work. We had an idea of what that might look like. And it was scary because it was the unknown. But that was also exciting too. So it was this weird mix of the only parallel I can give is being on a roller coaster. You know, some people love it. Some people hate it. And there's highs and lows. There's that feeling of excitement, but also anxiety. And that's what running a business or making something new happen can feel like. And that's where we found the community helped us. Our community that we built had helped us to make that decision because it wasn't just about us doing it in isolation. It was kind of crowd of people almost not pushing us over the edge, but certainly giving us, you know, wings for our way down. That's what it felt like. So we made a decision that was on the on the outside a bit reckless. You close your agency while it was doing really well. How are you going to make money? You know, all the questions that our friends asked us and still don't get probably. But that came with change. That came with uncertainty. And that's kind of followed us through to today in that yeah we've met so many amazing people on this journey that it's given us opportunity i think we talked about shiny new objects uh, earlier that idea of there's always something new and different to potentially explore i think we've learned more recently actually saying yes to everything can be useful at the beginning but is not necessarily healthy um, so really understanding like what change is healthy for us what innovations we want to explore but also what are the foundational things that don't change and that are working well and that's where we're at now is having a really clear idea of what we're about, where we want to be going forward in the future, having a really clear idea of our 10-year vision and having room to explore the ste- stepping stones to get there. And sometimes that involves, I wouldn't say a failure, but it involves a learning that we could never have known unless we did it. And that, I think one thing to embrace is understanding with change there's, there's risk, but there's also learning that you wouldn't have. And that learning can benefit your, yourself and your organization in ways you can't imagine because it will lead you to people or ideas or projects that are almost out of your sphere right now so it seems that you can cope with uncertainty as long as you have that vision there as long as you know what the 10-year vision looks like and then you're free within that vision to sort of try stuff and see see if it works or not yeah i mean it can, the challenge with that is for some people even crafting a vision is, is scary and that's one thing we, we help people with but there's another way of looking at it with, which is more well there's a couple of ways you can look at this one is more individual so it could be how do i want my week to look for example what does my ideal week look like Maybe you've got it how you've got it now and there's a vision for how you want your work to look. And I found that a useful exercise because we can think more tangibly sometimes about the day-to-day and what my Tuesday looks like versus what 2030 looks like. And how do I want to spend my time? Going back to your point, how do you measure success? You know, how do I want to spend my time is sometimes an easier question to answer than where do I want to be in 10 years' time? So that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is like, what is missing for me right now in terms of the work I'm doing? Is there, for example, some people there's a feeling of missing some impact or meaning. For some people, it could be a creative spark that's not been lit for a long time, or it could be a feeling of autonomy. Maybe they want to bring more autonomy to their work. And so understanding these kind of drivers and motivations that kind of guiding the decisions we make, whether we like it or not, sometimes those things can help to say, okay, I'll experiment and, and make a change happen because, for example, there's a creative side of me that needs to be scratched. And then whether you succeed or fail, obviously, you want it to be fairly uh, minimal impact on other people. But my point being, in a safe space, in, in isolation, if you can test things out, then at the very least, you've maybe tapped into a need that you haven't fulfilled through your work in the past. So I think bringing it back to the personal level can sometimes help to mm-hmm. make you understand that, yeah, this is what I need, and I'm willing to take that risk for it for me. 
and actually think of there was a guy who came to one of our events a few years ago this was before mindfulness was really a big thing and he was a deputy head in a south london school and he we met him actually because he was at an event where the dalai lama spoke and he brought on on stages his kids to meet the dalai lama from his school in south london in bromley and, and he was teaching mindfulness to these kids in his school and again his approach was I'm willing to lose my job to do this because I believe in it and I know it's powerful and I've experienced it with my pupils that actually they're calmer, there's less bullying, they're more attentive, they're more creative when they have these mindful moments, you know, two or three times a day. And so he ended up on stage with the Dalai Lama meeting him and them experiencing that because of his risk that he took to take that first step of, I'm just going to do it. Whether it sees or fails, I believe in it because I've experienced it and I have this need to share this with, with, my, um, with my school children. So... I guess that's one example of, yes, he wanted to do it for other people, but actually he, he wanted it for himself to have that space. And lo and behold, he's now written books on you know mindfulness for schools and left the teaching profession because he felt like he was too hamstrung by that constraint eventually for his vision. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So, you know, often we yeah explore things, we find something's really useful for ourselves, and then we want to go and share it at, at work and for our patients. I know certainly there's lots of GPs who are, teaching mindfulness into well-being and lifestyle medicine and all these things because they found how well they work for themselves and want to share it around really. I love the idea of the sort of creating your ideal week and I know remember when I came to Altitude Carlos sat me down and Carlos is Lawrence's business partner and said right Rachel what is it you want what do you want your week to look like and I was like no don't I need to tell you my vision and my goals he said no how do you want to live that was really helpful because part there's an exercise within that which is looking at your looking at your diary which might be overwhelming I can imagine for a lot of GPs but looking at your typical week at the moment right now and just marking out activities in terms of what's what gives you energy and what takes away your energy and, and even marking it as bluntly as red and green you know green gives you energy red is, takes away energy and just seeing like a snapshot of what a typical week looks like right now and that might instantly might give you an overview of okay if you're not feeling right things aren't feeling great you're feeling a bit burnt out whatever the thing is that's missing that might give you an indication and then flipping that to what what could that look like how can you do more of the things that give you energy as much as possible and how can you let go of maybe not everything but some of the things like you said that don't give you energy and you can delegate or let go of and have other people help and sometimes it is just cutting stuff out you know i'm often coaching gps and you know by the time we put in everything that's in their week into their you know their usual week we've covered about eight days <laughs> and you look at it you go how does this work and they go mm, okay no wonder i'm feeling stressed and but often it, it's even cutting out a whole an entire role that you have or an extra job or the ccg job or the this or that or you know just to give yourself space so i, I love that idea of doing the green and red days or bits of time and just seeing where your green and red balance because you're never going to get a job that has no red in it are you and, it's a, and also it's sometimes it's not a question of not doing those things it's just understanding it number one so awareness of it is like okay this is the day when i don't even talk to my kid he's like oh i hate mondays because it's you know whatever maths and re and science but it's like okay how can you make it fun because it's not fun you know because it is difficult you know, what can you do to make it fun for yourself? So maybe there's ways of, yes, still doing those things. But then, I don't know, if you're like having to do a whole load of reports, you know, putting up your favorite music or going doing it somewhere more inspiring than the office. Whatever it is, there's always ways you can sometimes you know, tweak it to make it less, mm. less draining. Put it away on your, on your... Or if you can't tweak stuff inside of work, then actually tweak what you do after work. I remember someone telling me, you know, her on call day, she used to dread going home because... 
you then get all the demands from the family and actually just changing it so she went for a swim instead mm. not having to deal with the you know after being on course she had zero energy left not having to then give out more she could pause to recharge herself a bit and then go home when she was needed a bit less and then on other days she could definitely give more to the family yeah I it's worth creating space creating space between things Mm. and we're all guilty of filling our time and heading from one appointment to the next or one commitment to the next but as much as possible you can give yourself that buffer like even if it's 10 minutes just to breathe Um, one of my friends said once like before you open your laptop first in the morning just think just stop and just think what am i about to do you know even that alone has helped me just okay don't just go head straight into work like i'm sitting down to do something what is it and and can i close it when i'm done (laughs) or do i end up looking at linkedin facebook whatever the distraction is so just having that intent around, you know, what is the activity I'm about to do? Could I even sit there for a minute and do a bit of you know, breathing or mindfulness or whatever just before I start my activity? And maybe that would end up the next 50 minutes is more productive than it would have been if I hadn't done that. So yeah. understanding these things aren't necessarily drains on our time, but actually things that make the time we do spend at work more effective. Yeah, because we do just fritter away a lot of time and we do have more time than we think we have. I think it's 168 hours in the week, isn't it? And even if you're at work for 60 of those hours, that's still 108 hours and, you know, no one sleeps that long. So you do have more time. It's just often we do just fritter it because we're so knackered. Fritter it away on Netflix or scrolling through Facebook and, and stuff like that that doesn't really give us anything. The other thing that I thought was interesting is this idea of this vision because I think that for many doctors and many practices they are struggling with change and uncertainty and knowing what they should say yes to and no to because they have they have no vision they haven't actually sat down to think about as a practice what do they want to be doing so you can think of individually what I want to be doing what what do I want to do with my ideal work week as a practice where do we want to do and where do we want to be what tips would you give people for setting that vision I mean, it's difficult. I mean, say we were working with a founder of a company or yeah, the person who started the initiative organization, then it, once it's easy, but it's, it can be easier to craft a vision because mm-hmm. maybe they know it deep down. They've got a gut feeling why they started this thing. It can be, um, well, there's less stakeholders, put it that way. And, and then that can filter down into the teams that they create and have built. I think with a GP practice, maybe it's about a shared vision for the for the practice or maybe there's a, a source somewhere like how did this practice start who was behind that in the beginning what was the vision that they had for this and is that vision still relevant um is it clear is it, you know are the values and the the vision and mission behind that still relevant as we say live them don't laminate them <laughs> a lot of, a lot of i like that do you know your core values oh no but they're in a drawer somewhere or like they're laminated on the wall <laughs> they're on the back of the toilet door yeah exactly but trying to get people to really own those and live those is, is the hardest thing and so in some cases it could be an organization that's been going a long time and people have lost their way and when they really tap into how did this come about what's the story behind this practice then maybe there's something there that they can you know reconnect with and reignite but more than anything i think it's the people that work there and the, the leadership team to really have a clear idea of you know where do we want to go with this what success for us as an organization and trying to keep that as, as easier said than done as simple as possible not crafting like a hundred word mission statement, but really I think look, trying to look ahead and looking ahead to say, okay, what does the future look like with this in the world? What is, you know, what's the change we want to make as, a, as an organization? And that can just be your little dent, you know, it doesn't have to be changing the world. It can just be, you know, impacting people locally or, you know, empowering people with like you talked about, you know, social prescribing, whatever it is, whatever the things are you're trying to do. I think that can create a, an inspirational 
beacon for other people because again it can inspire people to work there it can also inspire people to come there and experience the, the value of the work they do but i would say again it's carving out time carving out time if possible to get away from the day-to-day and, and to have the leader or the leadership team you know and again having someone else ideally run that session so that they can have the freedom to open up and have that facilitated in a way that gets the answers that they need yeah and i think possibly not to worry if it's too personal because i think people do think like my vision has to be we're going to change the health of our population in 10 years time actually it's okay to say we want to make sure that this is sustainable for us all still to be working here yeah. and not to have burnt out and to have happy engaged staff which will produce happy engaged patients that's okay isn't it yeah exactly and I, i'm I think when we talk about impact, you know, sometimes that gets misconstrued in terms of we need to change the world. And and actually, we found a lot of people who try to fix the world or change the world are actually the ones who are finding it hard to get up in the morning themselves because they're burnt out because they're trying to fix everyone else but themselves. So I'm a big fan of impact being the person in front of you or the team you're with or Mm -hmm. the community you're part of. And if everyone did that, then we'd all be good. So, yeah, not having to think of it as I have to think big, but how can I? just i think put words to or a vision to and a vision could be visual it could be words or it could be lego whatever your method or medium for communicating that vision a way to for other people to understand and to rally around and again going back to my point about the lamination thing not having a consultancy come in and tell you your vision but actually what are the words what are the words that we own that we understand and that other people understand and trying to keep it as jargon free as possible definitely that's really helpful lawrence if I was ask you for your three top tips for people to stay happy in their sort of healthcare business or at work as a doctor GP. What would be the tips that you take from business and plonk into their health service? Oh, this is the silver bullet moment, isn't it? <laughs> this way you say something really profound. <laughs> my secret sauce. You could have yeah. <laughs> um, well, the first thing I think is going back to my point about space, like carving out space yeah. for yourself. I think that's one of the most important things uh, we believe and we've seen from the people we've um, worked with is carving out space for yourself. And that could be a minute in the day. Or it could be a week, a week, you know, when the ups that you did. There's a spectrum, but I think understanding that those habits that you build to carve out time for yourself, thinking time, well-being time, whatever you call it, but it can sometimes be the most productive time, even if you don't want it to be that. It can be the most productive time that you ever spend. And I believe it makes you a better leader, a better worker, a better colleague, a better family member. That's certainly my case. And again, it comes back to the idea of creating space between things, not just rushing from one mm. thing to the next. So that'd be one thing. We're big advocates of community, whatever community means for you. We say build your tribe, find your tribe without sounding too hippie and woo-woo. You know, if you can find peers, like-minded people who are going through the same things as you do, chances are, if you are the first one to put your hand out for help or support, they'll be willing to do it. We found that people just are craving community and belonging. Mm-hmm. The more you take that first step and, you know, I show you mine, you show me yours, uh, the more vulnerability you show, the more that other people start to show that too. So yeah, finding people, like-minded people, where you can even just not even get solutions to your problems, just share them. And, and that support system is hugely valuable. And the third one probably just be back to the first point, get out of your bubble. Yeah, I've found so much value from going to completely random things that don't have any bearing in our industry and learn more from those than I would do by going to another design or business conference. So my wife dragged me to the ballet the other week and you know, I, I could always feel my creative side worrying of things that it's just a different world to what I know or understand. But putting myself in those environments where sort of serendipity and ideas can just flourish, then that's really, uh, I think, important. Because if you can learn the same things from the same people in the same way and nothing's going to change. You know, you can go to a medics conference and you might learn some new things, but ultimately they'll probably be 
arguing about nuances that no one outside that room cares about. So I would say try and get out of your bubble and yeah, maybe go to a, a if you're not an entrepreneur, go to an entrepreneurship conference, go to the theater or do whatever it is, something that's out of your comfort zone. And, you know, don't tie yourself to any expectations of what that might lead to. It might just be, again, thinking time for you. And presumably they could always come to a happy startup summer camp. Well, obviously that's an option for them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it goes back to my point about embracing serendipity, you know, embrace a diverse group of people who have similar values around, you know, what work and life and business means. And so I think that, again, we would embrace people from, from your community because, again, I've learned so much from people like you, all these different people from different fields who ultimately we're all the same. We'll go through similar things. We're going through battles about family and work-life balance, about time, about challenging situations about colleagues we don't get and who don't get us difficult bosses difficult patients or you know customers that these are all things that are consistent across every field so even though we're very different we're a lot more similar than we give ourselves credit for yeah absolutely well Lawrence thank you so much it's been an absolute joy to have you on the podcast if people want to get in touch with you how can they find you so the happystartupschool.com is the main website you'll find links to all the things we do we have a blog we have a podcast we have all the events on there and I'm on my community. For me personally, if you're on LinkedIn, look me up on LinkedIn or email me, Lawrence at happystartups.co. I'll be happy to answer any questions anyone has. And yeah, again, like I said, we embrace difference and, and uh, serendipity. So yeah, who knows where that might lead. It's great. And I'm, I'm going to put some of your blogs in the show notes as well, because I think you've done a few ones I've, I've shared in my community and I think are really, really helpful to people. So thank you so much for coming on and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Lawrence. Bye. Thanks for listening. And if you'd like to download the free tool, which is the Thrive Week, where you can uh, plot out what your ideal working week looks like and what your current week looks like, then go to the link in the show notes and you'll be able to download that. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please share it with your colleagues, share it with your friends. And I would really, really appreciate a review. So have a great rest of week.